Atlanta has an incredible history of a plethora of African-American leaders in all fields, education, government, civil rights, and yes, business. Today, as we continue to celebrate Black History Month, I'm having a conversation with Jay Bailey, president and CEO of the Russell Innovation Center for Entrepreneurs, also known as RICE. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone with Ramona Houston, where we zone in on black and brown relations and our journey to empowering our communities. Jay discusses the impact and legacy of Mr. Herman Russell Sr. in Atlanta, and he also talks about the current work of Rice in the growth and development of black businesses in Atlanta. Enjoy our conversation and also see show notes for more information about Jay and Rice. As always, please subscribe to the Empowerment Zone podcast and give us a rating on Apple Podcast. Your support will ensure that we continue our journey in empowerment and impact. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone. We are here to have a good conversation about African-Americans and entrepreneurship and social impact and all the ways that we empower our communities through business. And I am so delighted to have our guest today, uh, Mr. James uh, James J. Bailey, uh, who is president and CEO of the Russell Center. Uh, It's also called the Russell Innovation Center for Entrepreneurs. It's out of Atlanta, Georgia. And as you know, here at the Empowerment Zone, we're all about empowerment and impact. And so I'm so happy to have you, uh, Mr. Bailey. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone. Oh, I'm happy to be here to talk all things entrepreneurship, uh, Atlanta, and Black empowerment. So thank you, doctor, for the invitation. Well, so uh, can we begin by uh, you telling us a little bit about yourself? and um, telling us how you got into this work of entrepreneurship. You know, entrepreneurship has always been a part of my life. Um, And it's been an interesting thread. I started my first business when I was 12. Uh, I bought my first house at 19. Um, I made my first million by the time I was 23. Uh, But I did not have good money role models, um, didn't have business mentors. Uh, So I literally went from living in a 10,000 square foot home in a country club uh, to being homeless, living in a nine by nine storage unit in mountain on mountain industrial Boulevard in Tucker, Georgia. Uh, It was there though, that I really had the great epiphany that by the world standards, I had been successful, uh, but I had zero significance. I had done nothing to put it in this world, nor change anyone's life. Mm. Uh, And when I started to change, trace significance, uh, within four years out of homelessness, I was helping to run a $30 million nonprofit organization in 10 countries. Uh, I was able to retire at 39 um, and make my soon-to-be wife a promise that I'd never get another job again. Uh, but there are very few times in life where you get to be a part of something you know will outlast you. Uh, and there are even rare moments where you get to be a part of something that could potentially change the course of history. And I found those things to be true with this opportunity to carry forward. Uh, the legacy of one of the greatest entrepreneurs and business people this city of Atlanta has ever produced, N.H.J. Russell, 
uh, in building the H.J. Russell's Innovation Center for Entrepreneurs, the largest center in the world dedicated to growing, scaling, developing black businesses. Uh, it was an opportunity too powerful to say no to. Uh, and that's how I found myself here in the work that I do now. It's amazing you talk about uh, going from homelessness to really understanding <clears throat> that life is about, excuse me, going from being a millionaire to being homeless to recognizing the fact that life is all about service and serving others. And to find yourself in this, like you stated, once in a lifetime opportunity to work uh, and build on the legacy of uh, Herman Russell, who has meant so mm -hmm. much to the African-American community in Atlanta, but also to the wider African-American community in the United States, because he has inspired so many entrepreneurs and philanthropists because he was always devoted to the community. So can you talk a little bit uh, about Herman Russell before we start talking about the center and what Herman Russell has meant to Atlanta, to the African-American community, and also what he means to you? Yeah, it's, it's even impossible to talk about our work without really lifting up the man himself. This is the guy that started his first business at the age of 12. Uh, at a time in the Jim Crow segregated South where there were just not many options for a young black boy coming up in Summerhill, Georgia. <clears throat> this is also the guy that built his first income producing property at 16. Um, he integrated the Chamber of Commerce at the city and the state level in Atlanta. The brother had a pool inside his house at the age of 30 with a tennis court where a young Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. used to go and swim and try to figure out how he wanted to change the world. Uh, but that's not even the impressive part. For those that are listening, I, I asked them to Google Atlanta's Berlin Wall, where Atlanta's mayor literally commissioned a wall be built <clears throat> to discourage Black people from living north of Peyton Road. Well, Mr. Russell, in his 20s, with a group of six other families, bought a 200-acre cattle farm, uh, found a city loophole, and adjoined it to an existing subdivision, Collier Heights where they literally built a subdivision from the ground up, from the dirt that was on the architects, the construction, uh, a dignified neighborhood for black working class and professional people to live. It's no secret that our former mayor, Keisha Lance Bottoms, where did she get the audacity that she could run a city? She grew up in the neighborhood Collier Heights, mm -hmm. where she was surrounded by black excellence. You ask our mayor today, Andre Dickens, where he lives, and he mm -hmm. lives in Collier Heights. Um, built half of the skyline in Atlanta, uh, has perennially been on the Black Enterprise Top 100 Black Businesses since the inception of the list. Uh, and you can go down countless names of people that got their start with H.J. Russell that are titans of business now, but they got their start at that company, like T. Dallas Smith, like C.D. Moody, like Egbert Perry, like Noel Khalil. The list goes on and on. He was an incubator and accelerator for Black black excellence before those were even terms. Um, and when we think about the center itself, you gotta put it in context. Think of a black man 78 years ago, Jim Crow segregated racist South, where there were still documented lynchings of black people for thinking too much of themselves. This brother had the audacity to build a headquarter building that is a full city block wide and 50,000 square feet with his name on it, H.J. Rufflin Company. He built that headquarter building on a hill directly across the street from Morehouse, Clark, Spelman, Morris Brown, ITC, 
because back then you couldn't go to the University of Georgia or -hmm. Georgia Tech or Emory. Black students were not allowed. And so he knew that those students needed to see the physical manifestation of what was possible for black people. So he built his, his, his headquarters on that hill. So every day they matriculated, they were able to be inspired. So much so that Atlanta, yes, was the cradle of the civil rights movement. But the only real dust up we had was the student movement. And in the student movement, 117 students got locked up. They made one phone call and one man bailed them all out, Herman J. Russell. So when we start talking about legacy, and if you're a black business in the South, but especially in Atlanta, we all owe a debt of gratitude to Herman Russell for paving the way for the black prosperity we see today and certainly any black prosperity that we see in the future. So true. And it's so uh, good to know about um, Herman Russell's history and uh, that site of the center, which was his current uh, offices right next to the Atlanta University Center. You, For those of you who don't know, uh, those places he mentioned are all historically black colleges and universities right across the street. Uh, uh, Spelman College, Morehouse College, Morris Brown College, the Interdenominational Theological Center, Morehouse School of Medicine, and um, Clark Atlanta University um, that he did mention are are part of the Atlanta University Center. And those students get to see uh, Herman Russell and see his inspiration and also the fact that he took care of people who are actually about social uh, impact and social change. When you look at the civil rights movement and his impact on uh, Reverend Dr. King, as well as many others that were part of that movement, but also the student movement as well. Thank you so much for sharing that history. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, Herman Russell as a philanthropist? Sure. I mean, I think that, that you know, he believed that, that you know, to much is who to whom is given, you know, what is it? To much who is given, you know, they, they, he owed. He knew that he had the capacity to do more. I mean, there was a time where he literally donated a million dollars to each one of those HBCUs and Georgia State. Um, you know, we wouldn't have our Center for Civil and Human Rights here mm-hmm. without Herman Russell. <laughs> they wouldn't have the MLK papers if it wasn't for Mr. Russell's investment. And there are countless businesses that Mr. Russell while he was living, poured into and created the capital to help them get their start. Um, <clears throat> you can't really talk even about the great Maynard Jackson, mm-hmm. our first black mayor who laid the foundation for so much of what we call the black Mecca. Um, had it not been for Mr. Russell's endorsement, him cheering, his finance committee, and him really being at the heart of him leading that victory, uh, a lot of what we know today would never have happened. Um, so Mr. Russell was one of those unsung heroes. Uh, when you think about the civil rights movement, how do they pay for the meals mm-hmm. and the hotels and the flights? It was business people like Mr. Russell that helped undergird the civil rights movement and create the freedoms that all of us enjoy today. Uh, I'm, thank you for sharing that. A lot of people don't recognize the interrelatedness between the civil rights movement and the business community, the civil rights community and the business community, because the business community did uh, very much support the civil rights movement in all aspects from, like you stated, from travel to food, to housing, 
to printing flyers, all types of support, and then also providing, as you stated, the intellectual capital, capital uh, behind making a lot of things happen. So, um, oh, and, and uh, Mr. Herman Russell, he's a, a, a whole person, correct? So tell us a little bit about his uh, background as a family man. Well, yeah, I mean, Mr. Russell <coughs> was through and through Atlanta. Um, you know, he always wanted to build a generational company. Um, his three children now run the company currently. Um, you know, in looking at uh, his wife, Otelia, uh, who passed, but also then his widow, Sylvia Russell, that lives today, continues that legacy of philanthropy. So I think that, you know, he grew up in a time in the South where the black family was at the core of the black community. And he carried that forward every day. Yeah, so the reason that we wanna talk about Herman Russell as the business person, as the philanthropist, as the family man, as the community leader and icon, is because that is what, that is all of what the Russell Center really means, right? It represents the, the Black family as a, I mean, the Black community as a family. It represents entrepreneurship, philanthropy, social impact, uh, political empowerment, all of those things. And that's where you come in as the uh, uh, initial uh, CEO and president of the center. So tell us about the center and then tell us a little bit about what you want, what the vision is for your leadership uh, for the center? Yeah, I mean, I think now at 54,000 square feet and growing, as I said earlier, <clears throat> we're the largest center in the world dedicated to this work. Um, I'm a firm believer that we lose GDP every year uh, because the brilliant ideas that reside on the south side of the tracks of every city in America never reach the marketplace because they don't believe they belong. There's a lot of talk about DEI and diversity, equity, and inclusion but not enough talk about belonging and how can we create these safe spaces for black entrepreneurs to fail and fly uh, where we can pay a lot of attention to the loneliness, the depression, the anxiety, uh, the self-esteem, the self-confidence belief that goes into launching any successful endeavor. Um, how can we create the access, the opportunity, the exposure, the wraparound services, the mentorship, the community, the businesses need to thrive in a space that's unapologetically dedicated to black people, um, in a building that's unapologetically owned by the people that it serves, in the community, by the community, for the community. And so this space is, uh, is a special one. It's hollowed ground because of the deep legacy and history, but it's also hollowed ground because of the internal feeling and why we even changed our name to the Russell Innovation Center for Entrepreneurs. Innovation and entrepreneurship are very abstract concepts. You ask 10 people, you're gonna get 10 different definitions. But rather than building a space that's designed to teach innovation and entrepreneurship, we decided to build a space that was literally focused on the most important component of all of this, the entrepreneur. So instead of a, a, you know, a building to teach, let this be a center that is a tool for the entrepreneur. Mm. And uh, we've had some early successes with that around really leading. We've raised a little over $44 million. Like three and a half year, years ago, we, had, we started at zero with a zero budget, uh, a gutted out building. Um, and we started to build a vision. Even with a global pandemic, uh, we were able to raise over that $40 million that I spoke of. We support 
200 entrepreneurs full-time and about 4,000 in our network, and we're growing. Um, we're doing all of this literally starting at zero three and a half years ago. So the entrepreneurial journey that we talk about is the one that we're living. And so, you know, I think far too often we create programs just to be informal. People say, I got a lot of information. I'll create a program to share that information. Um, we can't just stop it being informal. We've got to be transformative. And how can we create a system that wasn't just about episodic training, but a true continuum of engage, engagement for the life cycle of a business rooted in community culture and covenant first, wrapped around a world-class curriculum, world-class faculty, world-class access. And at the end of the day, we're only in two businesses. I'm in the readiness business and I'm in the access business. Our job is to create the mechanism by which it gets companies ready to do business at the next level. And when they are, giving them the access to fly. And so, you know, our model is based on the HBCU model uh, around how we look at taking people through stages of development and empowerment only when they're ready to move along those stages that we call big ideas, inspire, develop, execute, accelerate, scale. That is an absolutely fantastic vision. And when you look at, uh, you said three C's, culture, community, and what was the other one you stated? Covenant. Um, <clears throat> I know that when stealing the HBCU model or the college model, that, you know, if I send my daughter to Spelman or we went to Spellhouse Homecoming, where I hear there were tens of tens of tens of thousands of people in Atlanta last weekend, and if we ask any given Morehouse or Spelman graduate, although they spend hundreds of thousands on their education, uh, although they spent 98% of their time in a classroom or lab chasing that degree, if we ask them to talk about two minutes about the best experiences they had at Spelman or Morehouse, I guarantee none of them are going to bring up a single class they took. Yep, that's the truth. I went to the University of Georgia. <laughs> and I went to the University of Georgia and literally... I could find the deepest, darkest racist in the state of Georgia. But if I'm wearing my Georgia sweatshirt in the airport after that national championship, that racist is going to come over to me. And if I say go dogs, he's going to say go dogs right back. <clears throat> the culture and the covenant, the community is that strong. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that are transformative. That's why that woman wears that Spellman hat, puts mm -hmm. a Spellman tag on her car, wears a Spellman sweatshirt. And it's not about curriculum or syllabus, community, culture, covenant. Let's start with that and build on that from there. Mm -hmm. Great vision uh, for um, the center, for the center. So tell us, you know, as president and CEO, what are some of your goals and objectives and your vision as a leader for, for the center at this moment in its historical development? You know, I mean, I, in the very, very, very beginning, when we had zero dollars and I was sitting in the empty building, I had a bit of a vision around, <clears throat> there was a family in Nebraska and they were sitting around the kitchen table and they had this beautiful idea that they wanted to birth and make real, this business that they wanted to start. And in their prayer and in their discussions, everything came back to if we want this to work we've got to get to atlanta and we've got to get to the russell center in my opinion that's all the vision that we needed how can we keep create this epicenter 
where we bring the best resources in the world under one roof. That if there is a dream to be had, an idea that you want to birth, a business that you want to grow, we become that epicenter of opportunity and access, that deep space of belonging and belief. And, you know, for the vision for what we are, I want to make it generational. Um, again, we're on an entrepreneurial journey. We're still learning every day. We're still building every day. But I'm never one that thinks that the progress should be stopped by perfection. Mm-hmm. So as we continue to, you know, fly this ship, you know, while we're building it and creating and learning every day as we go along, we've had some incredible successes along the way. <laughs> However, we've also had some incredible lessons that we've learned. And so, you know, the vision for it is, yes, to be this epicenter of opportunity for black people if they have a dream if they have an idea if they have a business to grow that will create jobs that will create wealth that will grow businesses that will strengthen community all of it is interconnected i think you said that at the top of the show around the interconnection between faith and finances and family and community and all of the how it's inextricably connected together and woven together Um, I see that as an opportunity for us to play our role when it comes to economic mobility through small business and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So you talked about uh, some of the successes. Do you want to talk specifically about some of the successes you've already experienced as as a center? You know, one of the biggest ones was that before the pandemic, we supported about 130 entrepreneurs. And all of the headlines read that Black businesses would be disproportionately affected by COVID-19. Some articles said as many as as little as 60 or as much as 80 to 85 percent of Black businesses were at risk of failing and ceasing to exist. Um, The first big win is that 98 percent of our companies were able to endure and still live through the pandemic. Uh, 67 of those companies experienced growth, but their stories like the one of FS360, who was one of our construction companies, uh, who in a single phone call during the top of the pandemic lost 80% of their revenue because their, their clients at the airport and airlines stopped all work. What's the company do when you immediately within five minutes of a phone call have lost 80% of your revenue? Well, because we understood their readiness, because we had access to corporate partners, um, you know, within a phone call and within six months, they were able to lock in a Fortune 50 client while they lost about $12.87 million in business because of that phone call. They were able to pick up over $27 million in business with this organization. And most businesses will tell you to, to cultivate and to close a Fortune 50 organization with new business usually takes anywhere from six months to six years, Mm -hmm. or I mean, six years to six to eight years, really. We were able to do it in six months. Um, But also one of the wins is that we walk the talk. Whenever you come to the Russell Center, from the water we drink, our pest control, the blinds on the wall, architecture, construction, low voltage, AV, uh, everything that you see in that building comes from black businesses, black entrepreneurs. We've spent more with black contractors, black suppliers than many Fortune 1000 companies. Just in the past two years alone, we spent north of $9.8 million with just the 200 companies that we support. And so 
You know, it's a circular economy with no waste, but we want to be an example of what it looks like. Rather than just talk about it, people can feel it, they can see it, and they can experience it. That's it. That's it. So tell tell us, you know, in terms of your leadership and, you know, you're in the very much the developmental stages or the evolutionary stages of, of, mm-hmm. the, of the center. What... Um, what is the impact that you want to make when when it when you you know move on to your next phase you know and look back what what is the impact that you want to make as uh, the first president and CEO of the center? You know, I think that, that with everything everyone has been through over the past three years, um, all of the racial unrest and uneasiness. Of course, the impact of COVID-19, we're going to need more than symbols of hope. Um, We'll need institutions that literally manufacture hope at scale. Mm -hmm. And how can we create a mechanism by which uh, businesses are helped, companies grow, ideas are born that isn't dependent on the leader, Mm -hmm. but literally a Mm -hmm. system that we have developed that you can put any person in that space who has the qualifications mm-hmm. and the system continues to run. Mm-hmm. Uh, my personal model is build as we climb. Uh, is derived from the very well-known saying, lifting as we climb. But in my mind, lifting as we climb has kind of one fatal flaw, that if I'm lifting as I climb, it ensures or it necessitates that I'm there to reach down and keep pulling people up. But if I were to build a staircase, Everybody in perpetuity that ever experienced that challenge would be able to overcome it because of the staircase that was built. And I would not need to be there any longer. And so that's the way I see the Russell Center. Let us build an institution. And like I said, I stole the HBCU model. HBCUs (coughs) have had countless presidents and provosts, but the institution still remains, be it Howard or Morehouse or Spelman or Hampton, or Harvard, or the University of Georgia. Those are institutions that will stand the test of time because they built mechanisms for economic mobility for our youth. I wanna do the same thing for our entrepreneurs. In this section of our uh, podcast, we always ask our guest, what would be their one strategy for college success? We have a lot of uh, students from all over the country and world who listen to this show. If you could help them be successful in college, what advice would you give, give them? And could you start by saying what college or colleges did you attend your degree or degrees and major or majors? And then what strategy would you give students for college success? Sure. Um, I attended the University of Georgia class of 99 uh, with a speech communications degree. However, I was never a great student. Um, But I understood the power of relationships. And I think for any student that's listening, um, you also got to reverse engineer. You're in college to learn, develop and grow in hopes of chasing your wildest and biggest dreams. Well, you got to think for every college professor, educator, teacher, administrator at that college, they're literally living their wildest and biggest dream for some of them. And oftentimes, you know, one of the the best pieces of advice that I ever got was from Ambassador Andrew Young, who said to me, son, you better make your friends before you need them. 
two ways to look at that. If you're blessed enough to attend a university or a college, some of those people around you, you can bank on in 20, 20, 30 years are going to be leading large corporations, are going to be mayors and senators and governors. And you are able to build authentic relationships during your time when you didn't have much to give either one of you. Build those relationships. But also build those relationships with those professors, those that pour everything into creating that lesson plan, developing that syllabus, because they're pouring their whole self into it. And far often when you go into classrooms, especially the larger ones at the beginning of your college journey, when that professor says class is missed, everybody zones out, puts their headphones out and runs out of the building. Or while they're doing that lecture, they're looking at their phones or got headphones in their ears. And literally what's happening is that professor who has given their whole life to this profession <clears throat> doesn't feel seen. For the student that is able to connect with that professor and tap into that, that passion that they have, while everybody was running out of the back, I was the one student running to the front and saying, hey, Dr. Smith, my name is Jay Bailey. I'm not the best student in the world. You may not see my face in class every day, but I'm committed to doing well, and I'm going to need your help to do that. And I have a countless list of professors and teacher's assistants and grad assistants that committed themselves to helping me matriculate through the University of Georgia. Life moves at the speed of relationships. Business moves at the speed of relationships. And there's a lesson that college students aren't very often taught because we focus so much on the curriculum. I'm saying on this podcast that if you see the person behind that syllabus, you see that person behind the professor title, you're going to open up a world of opportunity through getting to know the individual. And that skill set will help you throughout your life. Great advice. Make sure that you build relationships in college. And as you build those relationships, you're building them with your colleagues because they're going to be the future leaders uh, in all uh, fields, po political leaders, education, business. And then you also want to make sure you build relationships with your professors because uh, by having those relationships, those um, professors can help you through your matriculation in college and also create opportunities for you outside of the classroom. It's the professors who are the first to hear about those internships, those research opportunities, the travel, the scholarships. So make sure you build relationships uh, with your professors or, as well. So by building those relationships, you have support internally in the school and then after you graduate outside of the school. Thank you so much, Jay Bailey, for joining us on the Empowerment Zone. It's been a pleasure to have you as our guest. Oh, the honor is all mine. Thank you, Doctor. A special thank you to the incredible team of the Empowerment Zone. Terry Gully, theme song, NADWORKS, digital support, and of course, our featured guest. 